It's not enough to simply address the violence in our schools, nor is it enough to go on reacting to disruptions and distractions with the same old reactions, such as using punitive or exclusionary practices. These methods and approaches have been proven to produce results that are less than satisfying. In fact, the problem with these methods, such as office disciplinary referrals, suspensions, either in-house or out-of-school suspensions or timeouts, is that first and foremost, these approaches are temporary at best. Secondly, these methods have proven to be widely enacted on students from typically marginalized groups that tend to be excluded in the first place. Students of color, students with disabilities, and students from indigenous or first nation cultures are typically the first to get pushed down and punished. These methods do not address the underlying problems, nor do they change the school culture. These methods are at best an old school solution to deeper problems that require some hefty thinking and teamwork. Let's face it, the function of schools 50 years ago greatly differs from the function of schools today. One might argue that schools always have had to face disciplinary issues and ongoing problems resulting from kids who did not fit into the mold or who were unsuccessful in school settings. But things have really progressed to such a degree that it cannot be ignored. There is such violence in school and so many incidents and deeper problems such as bullying prevail. We know this to be true. So let's go back. And to illustrate this, I'll share a personal example. Before iPads and Nintendo, watching Saturday morning cartoons was considered a primary source of entertainment. To be honest, most parents in the post-war baby boom era and after that time were frankly unaware of the level of violence, nor did they believe that young minds could be influenced by television enough to be damaged by it. As baby boomers and Gen Xers grew to become adults with children of their own, they began to think about this and parent differently. They began to think about the effects of violence on TV, in films, in video games, and in social media. But in schools, it became simply an epidemic that none of us could have predicted. Now that we think about this and we cringe and take note of how far it has become, school disciplinary processes have begun to shift based upon different views about violence and how kids are affected by it. For example, in the 1990s, the zero tolerance programs addressed not only violence in schools and lack of discipline in schools, But the zero tolerance programs were based on the assumption that by addressing petty issues early and having a strict disciplinary referral system, larger incidents could be prevented. 
In the early 2000s, we found that this approach was not exactly effective and that the promise of zero tolerance as a preventative measure didn't work out as well as planned. What is missing is clear thinking on these matters. When there is little attention on why such issues are occurring at a rapid rate, there's a need for further examination and a need for solutions. The solution should be more focused than on just how to discipline students and how to prevent disciplinary problems. The solutions need to cover why there's such a breeding ground of negativity in schools, why there is such bullying, and why there are so many issues and conflicts between students, between teachers and students, between teachers and parents, and between leadership and teachers. In other words, let's not just think about safety as a bottom line, but let's think about why there is so much unrest, violence, and negative culture in schools. It is not just the responsibility of the district and school administrators or the teachers alone to change the climate in schools. It is the responsibility of the whole school community, from the district leaders to the principal to the cabinet to teachers, providers, parents, school safety, officers, and the students themselves. All stakeholders must take responsibility for school safety. Peaceful and harmonious climate and culture and finding solutions to some of the problems that we now face in schools. It is a responsibility to all of the stakeholders. It is reasonable to note that most of the stakeholders in our schools want the same things and have the same goals. It is also common knowledge that teachers believe in peaceful solutions, preventative and proactive disciplinary measures, and want to find ways to prevent classroom management issues. The problem is, how do we find a systematic approach to these goals? There is a need for a systematic approach that is not just reactionary. There's a need for a systematic approach to whole school discipline and classroom management that is built on respect, responsibility, and caring. Changing times call for challenging the current disciplinary systems that are not working. We need a better way to translate classroom management systems to make them more practical and doable, but they also have to be systems that change the classroom climate, culture, and tone. In other words, these systems must address building of relationships between teachers and students, between teachers and parents, between teachers and leadership staff, and between students and students. It really comes down to building a system rather than managing it. Here's another personal example. Just fixing a system is not enough. We can liken this to rerouting an HVAC system that doesn't work. The air conditioning ducts may be rerouted, but if the air conditioning doesn't work, 
it's still not going to cool the rooms down evenly or maybe at all. It's still going to be a dysfunctional system. We can't just fix it. We have to build a good system in the beginning. My goal is to point out how to build capacity and to reimagine the meaning of discipline, to reimagine how classroom management and behavior management can be different. I like to use the tenets of restorative justice, restorative practices, and restorative approaches as a strong backbone. I'd also like to offer positive discipline as a way to add to that system. Classroom management is about managing students, but it's not about controlling them per se. It's about building a better pathway for classrooms and school communities to be better places. It's about using restorative justice, restorative practices, and positive discipline in a way that is practical. It is also about teaching tenets of nonviolence using non-punitive and non-exclusionary practices and culturally responsive approaches to build capacity. It is about building clear communication systems that center on not only hearing students, but fostering student responsibility and accountability. Restorative justice, restorative practices, and positive discipline incorporate principles that are based on building community and relationships, and that's a good place to start. The restorative approach differs from traditional approaches but it must come from desire and willingness of teachers, leaders, counselors, and students to want a better environment and a better ecology in the school. It's about not only desire, but working together to build this better climate, culture, and tone in the school. It has to be a team approach. Teachers, leaders, counselors, parents, students, and all staff members must work together to believe in a better environment and build capacity. They must think about ways to not only coexist together, but to learn together and grow together as a school community. This approach widely contrasts the old-fashioned approach to discipline that is about enacting consequences, mostly punishing students or excluding them, and sometimes even shaming them to get them to do what we want them to do. The restorative classroom manager approach is not easy, nor is it perfect. It's not meant to replace the school discipline code. There's a good reason to keep basic order in the school, and the school discipline code is in place to do that. The school discipline code also calls for good common sense ideas, such as removing students who are causing immediate danger or imminent danger to themselves or others. When we think about it, we need to come up with reasonable and responsible rules so that we can live together with basic values of respect, 
responsibility. But we also need to add that layer in where students can make restitution for harm done when they have committed an infraction that is not a high-level infraction on the discipline code. In other words, if they've harmed somebody and they can make amends or change their behavior and it's doable, and if students can reflect upon it, why not? The rules and policies of a school learning community can be revitalized and tweaked based on the restorative practices. Restorative justice and restorative processes and proactive disciplinary methods. This can be done slowly, gradually, and carefully. I have been studying ways to create a nonviolent and positive culture and community within schools and <clears throat> within classrooms. I have been involved with the Alternative to Violence organization known as AVP that promotes nonviolence and restorative practices throughout communities and in the justice system. And these ideas and methods have been proven to work. This nonprofit organization brings peace to communities and to prisons, schools, and in other situations such as in communities where there is violence or there is strife. I have learned some of these processes as a restorative justice facilitator and hope that I can communicate these ideas in my podcasts and in my writings. These are different processes than the processes we know that are typically um, enacted in schools. How can all of these abstract concepts help with classroom management? I would like to share that teachers can make a difference. They can help to prevent and reduce incidents in the school and in their own classroom. They can create a peaceful community in the classroom, increase the chance and the opportunity that all students can learn and improve no matter what their background is. No matter what students have done in the past, there is a chance to change and to turn themselves around using the restorative justice and restorative practices methods in the classroom and with individuals. Why do I believe this is true? Every child learns to be loved, accepted, and valued. It is human nature to want to belong. All human beings need a sense of belonging. Without being loved and cared for, there is an empty void inside. When you think about it, people act out when they are reaching out for love or they are frustrated and at their wit's end. The feeling of having to prove oneself, feeling shame, feeling left out, 
or feeling angry and frustrated is what drives some people to act out. For others, it may appear that the person is doing this purposely. But remember that even the smallest creatures in nature want to feel loved, want to feel accepted, and want to feel purposeful. When we keep that in mind, we can make a difference, especially for young children and teens who are still impressionable. Disruptions, disturbances, and self-destructive misbehaviors, conflicts, and confuddling behaviors are a result of deep and complex issues that teachers, leaders, and counselors may not understand. Our students can come from dark spaces and can be victims or potential victims of the isms. Realities such as racism, ableism, sexism, homophobia, and other types of isms are unimaginable to some of the adults that teach them. Students can be steeped in pain as a result of the trauma they experience, the family dysfunction, abuse, neglect, alcoholism in the family, uh, drug abuse, parents in jail, and maybe not having parents at all, maybe being passed from foster home to foster home. These students suffer from low self-esteem, fear, self-doubt, and have only experienced repeated failures or rejection in many cases. The manifestation of feeling this pain can cause some to withdraw and others to act out. What we see in the classroom that we label as destructive or disturbing is usually a cry for help from a student. Now, while we're in the midst of it, it can feel very, very overwhelming. The dynamics of the classroom can be widely misunderstood by those observing it. Sometimes there's a vacuum in the field of education and people just don't understand and draw conclusions that the teacher is unable to manage the classroom or they are not a good um, behavior manager. We need to dispel these myths and think about some of the students that we serve and how we can turn these situations around. Teachers these days are charged with more than just teaching content. The emphasis on teaching content alone is neglecting the fact that teachers have to have that vital ingredient of being half teacher, half counselor, half parent, half friend, and sometimes just a good listener. To place emphasis on content alone amidst the same, same vital ingredients that is the same secret sauce of parenting, mentoring, and being a good friend. So when we think about it, we need to come about and think about a different approach to school discipline that takes into account the whole child. I contend that restorative justice, restorative practices, and positive disciplinary approaches will help turn some of the bad situations that we see in schools around. And I'd like to share as many things about restorative justice, restorative practices, and positive discipline that I can with you. 
This is Cultivating Classroom Management, and my name is Liz.